Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and today we have Miranda Ashling on the show. Miranda's mission is to reconnect art to daily life, a purpose you can see throughout her work as an interdisciplinary artist, community organizer, and entrepreneur. She built her tiny house, Aubergine, as a public art project in 2015 with the help of the community of Miranda's Hearth. Miranda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. I'm excited to have you. And I was hoping that we could start out and just have you tell us about the story of your tiny house, Aubergine, and and how it came to be. Sure. So my tiny house story, I guess, started purely with numbers. Um, I have a degree in arts. I was working on a master's degree in education and realizing that I was signing myself up for a life of, you know, sustainability, but no big paychecks. And so I was trying to figure out how to create an economically sustainable life. And so that, while not particularly uh, romantic, was the first reason that I found tiny houses, is that I, I read this article as all of us do, you know, five years ago or so about a tiny house couple out in Portland, Oregon, who had built their house after realizing they'd spent $60,000 in rent in 10 years. And so I did my own math and realized that if I built a house out of my savings, that it would only cost about three years worth of rent. So you just, you saw it as a financial decision that you could save a ton on rent by going tiny. Is that... Is that the reality now? Is has it has it panned out? Yeah, yeah. So the fact that I built my tiny house means that I got to quit my full time job and start doing my business, Miranda's Hearth, full time, which uh, was a big part of the reality because I didn't know how I was going to be an entrepreneur when I was paying Boston rents. So the fact that I now live rent free in a friend's backyard in a tiny house means that I can you know, do a little work on the side to cover gas and groceries. But apart from that, I can put my full energy into my business, um, which, you know, wouldn't have been able to happen without without dear old Aubergine here. Absolutely. And I can totally identify with that. My my decision to go tiny was largely uh, numbers based as well. Very similar, like saw the the saw my future in a cubicle forever, never kind of getting out and breaking free from, you know, making all that money. But in my case, it was making it and spending it and just never being able to reduce my expenses and start my own business. And so the tiny house was kind of my way off of that path. And your tiny house, Aubergine, has a really awesome build story. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. So tell us about how how she got built. Sure. Yeah. So once I found the tiny house movement out of my own personal uh, desires for economic stability, I then started thinking about how and if it could connect to my business. And our long term goal is to start the first community art hotel, which will be a functioning hotel where everything from the food to the furniture is handmade by local artists. And I thought, you know, if I was going to make my house myself, then it kind of automatically fit into that concept. So how do we tie the two together? Um, so it actually, it, <laughs> it wasn't something, I don't know if you know this story. It wasn't something I did on purpose. I was looking for a build site and I lived in an apartment in Boston 
Um, my family is not particularly close by, so I didn't know any place that I could build. So I was messaging farms and schools and churches. And then eventually the artists who I worked with at the Umbrella Community Art Center in Concord, Massachusetts, looked at me and said, well, you should just, you should just build it here. And so it was actually their idea that I ended up building my tiny house as a public art project on the front lawn of Concord, Massachusetts, which for those who don't know, is the home of Thoreau and where Walden Pond is and the little cottage. Um, so it was this really wonderful narrative that just kind of fell into my lap. Um, and it became both the most exciting and probably the most stressful year of my life so far um, because I had no building experience and I had just signed myself up for building as a public spectacle. Uh, so learning what I was doing with an audience all at the same time while spending my entire life savings. That, that is truly terrifying. <laughs> In retrospect, it's like, okay, girl, you probably could have thought that one through a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> but it worked. You had a deadline, right? It was, it was one year and then done. Yes. Well, that was part of doing it as a public spectacle is that we were on the lawn. We had a deadline, so there were no breaks. Uh, I've been hosting, like you said, the Big Tiny House Festival in Massachusetts since 2014. And at the end of my build year, we were going to have another festival. So I had to have my house done because 3,000 people were about to show up and tour it. So we were like painting the walls two days before, <laughs> two days before the festival. But, uh, but it was mostly serviceable by the time people started walking through. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to guess that it was just under construction within the last few days when I saw it at that at that festival. Oh well, thank you. That's uh that's reassuring. Good. And so, you've we've talked about this before, and I I love some of the stories that you've told me about building the house with your mother. I think that tiny houses, especially when people decide to take them on themselves, have this way of just bringing people together, bringing families together, couples together, or or potentially apart. So I'm curious, how was that experience of building with your mother? <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, my mother and I are incredibly close and always have been. Um, and she, the reason it came about is that she's a technical theater director and has been for 20 or 30 years. So she knows a huge amount about building. Although she was the first to tell me that everything in her career only ever had to look good from the fifth row. And she had never actually built a house. Um, but I am the eternal optimist in the family. And so I told her that, you know, she obviously still had a lot more skills than I had. Uh, and eventually it took some convincing, but I managed to win her over. And my mom, who lives in Stamford, Connecticut, which is down, you know, close to the New York border, is a teacher. And throughout the first summer of our build, when we were doing the outside envelope of the house, she would get up at six in the morning, Saturday morning, drive for three and a half hours, be at my build site in Concord, Massachusetts, build, you know, do physical construction as a woman in her fifties for eight hours, sleep at my house and then build again for eight hours and drive home. And she did this every weekend for three months until the school year began again. And then a couple times even during the school year. So uh, she's kind of my prime example of whenever people tell me that Eventually, I'll slow down or I'll get tired and I won't have as many big ideas. I just look at them and I say, you should meet my mother. <laughs> yeah, she said, I, I, I don't think I met her, but I would love to meet her. 
Yeah, well, hopefully the tiny house festival this year. She's usually stuck inside the house while I'm running the festival. So if you walk in, she'll be there. Oh, so you get her, you you she's your tour guide, and so that way you can free range around the festival. Absolutely, yeah, she loves it. She actually, um, I mean, she feels a lot of ownership over the house, as she well should, because she put a huge amount of sweat equity into it. Um, and like you said, tiny houses really bring people together, and the fact that. My mother knows every crooked wall in the house and whenever a piece of plumbing breaks, I can call her and we can figure it out together. Um, it's really something that strengthened our relationship. She looked at me at the end of that summer and said, you know, this is a year that we will never, ever forget. That's awesome. And speaking of festivals, I, I believe I saw an announcement recently about about an upcoming one. Yeah, yeah, we just posted it. I'm uh, I'm super excited that this year for the Big Tiny House Festival in Massachusetts, I'm going to be teaming up with the United Tiny House Association, who does the gigantic Florida and Georgia Tiny House Festivals. Um, they've been experimenting with other states, and one of their organizers is originally from Lexington, Mass., which is right next to Concord. So, of course, you know, small world moment. She heard about my build and reached out to see if we wanted to team up. So uh, I think that's actually a really nice example of the tiny house community. This giant festival from the southeast looked to the northeast to expand. And instead of coming here and walking over the local festival, they reached out. And now we're partnering to bring in both the local and the national elements. Yeah. And these festivals, they've kind of taken me by surprise, but they've really been springing up all around the country. And I had the the luck and just awesome time attending the festival outside of Atlanta, the Georgia Tiny House Festival, just about a month or so ago. I'm curious what your take is on these tiny house festivals. Why do you think they're so popular? I think there are a couple different things that are happening. Uh, it's interesting. I hosted my first tiny house festival before the HGTV shows and all of those took off. Um, and I've definitely seen a shift in the attendance since then. I think there's a good amount of people who are just intrigued uh, mostly in a very positive sense and less in a kind of circus come and look sense. Uh, but they're just curious about why people choose this lifestyle and whether they could choose it. I think tiny houses are really hard to wrap your head around if you haven't been in one. And it's really hard to get in one because they're homes. I mean, my tiny house is in a friend's backyard. I don't want to trample over her yard. Um, and it's tiny, you know, <laughs> and it's my home. So I don't open it up to people all the time. I know you know about that. But uh, festivals are a way for tiny homeowners to share something they're incredibly passionate about with people who are going to respond positively rather than sometimes the surprise and cynicism that they're met with from people who aren't involved with the movement. And it's also a way for, you know, tiny house hopefuls or just tiny house curios uh, to see what it's really like and see if they could actually do it. So it draws both people who are just intrigued by tiny houses and maybe will never live in one and also people who really do want to live in one but just haven't had a chance to see one in person. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I used to work for the Tumbleweed Tiny House Company. And when I did that, I worked with Meg Stevens, who's out in Utah. Um, and she always said a great thing. She said, the point of the tiny house movement isn't to get every person in the United States into a tiny house. The purpose is to get people thinking about right-sized living, to look about how they're living and why they live that way and whether it's the right size for them. 
tiny houses aren't going to be the perfect answer for the majority of people, but tiny houses introduce an element to the conversation that's been missing since industrialization, really. And uh, it's getting people to think about whether they could go smaller and whether they could, you know, maybe you're saving 200 bucks on rent instead of paying no rent, but that can still really shift your lifestyle. And they just challenge the the norm that has been kind of taught to all of us that your home is your biggest expense. It's your best asset. It should be this huge investment in your life. And it really, when you look around the tiny house movement and you look at what people are doing apart from their tiny houses, just in their lives, it's clear that when you reduce those costs and when you are no longer burdened by a giant mortgage, you're able to allow other parts of your life to, to shine through. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, um, I worked for the first six months after I lived in my tiny house because I wanted to build my savings back up because I grew up in a financially unstable family. So having financial security is really important to me. Um, but it ended up that I looked around my life and when things at work were getting a little bit stressed, I realized that I was the only person I knew in the tiny house movement who actually worked a full-time job. <laughs> and, and that gave me a lot of freedom. It made me really look at it and say, okay, my finances could work. I could get out of this. Um, so I think for me, the most exciting thing about tiny house festivals actually are, are the evenings when you have all these tiny house people, all these people who've chosen different paths coming together and sharing stories and just enjoying each other's company and, and knowing that the American dream actually is a little different than it's been marketed to us. I always say that the American dream has somehow ended up as an American equation with huge house at the end. And if you just change that, everything else in the equation can change as well. That's such a great point. I really like that. So let's talk about Miranda's hearth, which is the the business arm of of the operation. Um, and I say that with with a with a smile. Um, <laughs> so what is and there's so much there's so much to talk about here. So I guess my first question is, you know, what is Miranda's hearth right now? Like what what does it do on a day to day basis? That's a great question. Um, so at this point, we're a creative community. We host events throughout the greater Boston area that aim to build this community through creativity, purposefully that is approachable, affordable, and accessible. Um, and it comes out of really a personal place, which I think most businesses are. I heard a great quote in a class recently that said, most businesses are, most business problems are just personal problems dressed up. Something like that. That's awesome. <laughs> but so my real personal personal thing that I was dealing with was a lack of community, which I think is echoing around our culture right now. I grew up uh, moving around a lot with a divorced family. I was in a state where my parents weren't from, and so I felt pretty rootless. I ended up leaving home at 14 and being in Boston by the time I was 17. And by the time I landed here, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to find people, and I'm going to just be here. But as a 17-year-old, it was really hard to find people. Uh, I wasn't, I was in graduate school, but I wasn't in a kind of cohort. I was doing evening classes. I was a teacher, which meant I spent most of my times with children rather than other adults. And everything else had to do with alcohol, pretty much, in terms of getting to know people. So I started Miranda's Hearth really in an attempt to build the community that I wish I had walked into. 
And that's pretty much what it is right now. And so what I see on the calendar that there is a community night, it looks like every week. Um, so what happens, what happens at a community night? So it's really just an informal space for people to meet each other. Mostly people bring projects to work on. So we had one just the other night and there was a guy working on a little, uh, gosh, I'm going to sound so untechnological. He was building a light basically out of technological parts. There was another guy reading a book. A friend was knitting. Another friend was working on classes on uh, materials for her kindergarten class. And two people were playing chess together. So it's really just this welcoming space where we encourage people to make things, to learn from each other, and to develop a sense of belonging. Almost like co-working for artists. Yeah, very similar. Um, Although I will say that we purposely don't push just artists. Um, I think at the heart of Miranda's Hearth is this concept that creativity is an innate human skill. And some people develop it while others suppress it, but everybody has it. And so we encourage everybody, no matter what their professional background, to come and practice creativity. And I think that's that it's now it's making sense to me. Your your kind of tagline is reconnecting art to daily life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I was really lucky in school. I wanted to study art and my mother had studied theater. So she said, well, you can do that. We'll support you. Um, But I do want to talk about how you're going to build a life out of it. And so I had a really early education in terms of thinking about how creative professions can actually support livelihoods. And I looked at architecture and art education. I looked at trying to become a professional visual artist, which is a huge hard ride. Um, And I ended up settling on community art as a way of doing that and bringing people together. I feel like we've covered Miranda's Hearth in its current form, where is this going? Yeah, so it's it's funny. I, I wrote a blog post about five and a half years ago that had this really strong timeline. We're going to do this and then this and then that. And so far, we've been right on, on, on target, which is a little, a little scary that 17-year-old me projected my life so clearly. But, uh, <laughs> but our goal is to become the first community art hotel. And that's tied to this tiny house. It's a hotel where everything from the food to the furniture is handmade by local artists. And it, it functions for, for multiple reasons. The first is exactly what the community doing now, which is to help reconnect art to daily life, to break art outside of museums and put it back in the realm of homes, which is actually where it started. Um, the second is to break the nonprofit paradigm. All arts are supposed to be these non-profitable things that just give back to people. But the reality is all nonprofits have to make a profit. And so that paradigm is inherently broken. And our goal of combining hospitality with community art is to create a self-sustainable arts business that's still mission-driven and community-minded so that we actually can do the work rather than spending all of our time fundraising. I love it. So will will Aubergine become a hotel room that can be rented or will that stay your your residence? <laughs> that is the question. Uh, that, the way I had planned it, and usually I, I back myself into corners, I call it blackmailing myself. Uh, it's what I did with the festival. You know, the tiny house had to be finished so the festival could happen. 
I said, as I was building it, that, that Aubergine would become the first hotel room. Um, and I've only lived in her for a year and a half. So at, at the moment, that feels like a terrible thing to say because I'd like to live in her forever. But realistically, I think within a couple of years, I'll be ready to kind of pass her along and let people experience the story firsthand by staying in her as a hotel room. Right. And that that becomes, in a way, doesn't have to be your only contribution to the to the community art hotel, but Aubergine is a piece of art in itself, although I suppose she won't be for sale. Yeah, but for rent. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, my approach to the world is that everything around me is a piece of art. And if we, if we look at the world in such a way, then we treat things more carefully. We craft our lives more intentionally. We look at ourselves with a lens of self-improvement rather than a lens of resignation. Um, so I think it's it's really beautiful to live in a piece of art and to view yourself as a piece of art. It lends this humility uh, to your daily experience and and a sense of of connectedness. I mean, I stand in my house and over fifty people helped build it, and then another fifty people contributed pieces of art, either in trade with me or I bought it from them. And so I see a hundred people. I'm sitting up in my loft right now looking down at my house and I see the stories of over a hundred people surrounding me in just 160 square feet. And and to me, that's the real power, both of the tiny house movement and the community art hotel concept and, and hopefully how they can relate to each other. And there's just this enormous sense of pride, you know, even when you just fix something and then you get to use it again. But the the just the pride of being in a structure, a house that you built yourself with the help of all those people. I don't know, for me, it's just, I just feel so proud every time I step into my tiny house and can't, and can't even believe that I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a proud, it's a type of pride that is inherently linked with humility, especially having built it with so many other people. Um, Cause it makes me realize how well other houses are built. <laughs> And mine isn't. <laughs> or just how much work goes into other houses, especially big houses. I, I step into them while they're under construction and I'm like, I can't even fathom doing all this work. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you, I mean, I grew up in white class America. I, I didn't have experience with people who spent their lives building things and, and doing it myself and meeting people who do that has been a really important part of my growth on this journey. I just want to make sure that everyone can appreciate this. I know that you are a painter and a musician. What other what other art do you do? Oh, <laughs> um, I call myself a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I am primarily an oil painter. I do abstract oil paintings, and and currently I knit my own canvases. So I guess I'm a fiber artist as well. Um, in order to combine fine art with traditional craft. I do music, like you mentioned. I've written folk songs on guitar for 10 or so years, and I was trained in classical piano for about 15. Um, I hesitantly call myself a writer. Um, Miranda's Hearth was actually launched when I wrote a book called Don't Make Art, Just Make Something, which has kind of become our founding principle. Um I think those are the main three at this point. I've dabbled in just about everything. And uh, I actually was having a crisis of self about it a couple years ago when I realized that I had an art degree and taught at a museum and probably still couldn't teach a drawing one class in a regular university. 
But I realized that what I have spent my life developing is the art of creativity itself. And so you can sit me down with a pile of wood and ask me to build a house. You can sit me down with an empty piece of paper and ask me to design a website. Um, Just the drawing part. I'm not great at the HTML part. (laughs) Um, You can ask me to sit down and put in front of a piece of clay and make a pot. I also studied pottery in college. And what I feel most skilled in what I put the most time into is the creative process itself and getting from that pile of materials into a finished project on a deadline with a sense of authenticity and uh, kind of a, a mission in the piece itself. I like that a lot. I think that a lot of people, especially people who don't consider themselves artists, when you sit them down with that pile of wood or with a blank sheet of paper, they say, oh, I'm not a carpenter or, oh, I don't know how to draw. And it sounds like you're kind of saying, forget the medium, forget how good or not good you are at it and just just be creative. Just use it in whatever way that you can or that you feel called to. Yeah. Don't make art. Just make something. <laughs> I have it plastered all over my life. And uh, really that mindset is the only reason I could build this house because even my mom, who was incredibly supportive the whole time, her first question when I told her I wanted to build the tiny house was, who's going to build it for you? And I looked at her and I said, well, we are. <laughs> and it's this sense of kind of, I was going to say blind naivete, but I actually think it's, it's pretty clear-eyed, purposefully chosen naivete. Um, to think that you can do anything. It's, uh, there's a great book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, which talks about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And I'd like to, I try really hard to practice my life in the growth mindset, which is looking at anything and saying, I'm not a painter because I haven't been taught how to paint rather than I'm not a painter because I just inherently couldn't paint. Um, and our education system really promotes that fixed mindset, which I am good at math. I'm not good at math. I am good at sports. I'm not good at sports rather than I could be good at sports. Or I don't know how to paint yet. Exactly. That yet is such an important part that we often miss. Well, that's a perfect setup because I like to ask all my guests for three books. In your case, I'm going to say books, music, any resources that have inspired you and informed how you go about your life. It doesn't have to be tiny house related. And you've already given us one mindset. You could give two or three more if you want. All right. Well, yeah, mindset, definitely an amazing book. Gosh, there are so many, Ethan. <laughs> I'd say um, I'm going to say him as a speaker overall, but Sir Ken Robinson gave the most watched TED talk ever and has also written some really incredible books purposely about how creativity is useful for education. His TED talk is called um, how schools kill creativity, something like that. Um, And so he's been really informative to me, particularly when I was, I was building the don't make art, just make something concept. I guess totally on the other side, just because I feel like you challenged me by asking to say a musician. (laughs) Um, My favorite musician is a woman called Susan Werner. She is another great example of someone who pulled in all of these different skills, all within the musical realm, 
Um, but she's a folk musician who's classically trained, can do jazz piano, jazz guitar, has her voice classically trained, uh, and is possibly the best performer I'll ever see. Um, and so she really inspired me in my music, but I think it also translated to my community organizing to tell stories, um, to tell the stories of different people. She and Vance Gilbert are two musicians who I really adore. And both of them sing songs from other people's perspectives. I mean, Susan Warner is a gay woman from Iowa and she sings the song of an older man who lost his farm in that same area. And so that humility and grace to be able to sing someone else's story um, because of how hard you listened, I think is something that I really pulled from her. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Miranda, Ashley, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Ethan. That's it for our show. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. And don't forget to subscribe. We put out a new episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast each week. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. I sincerely hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to the show. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next week.